real happiness comes from helping others. Real happiness comes from being grateful for what we already have. 1% of our day should be dedicated to our mental health, right? But it's so important not to base your self-worth on your achievements. You should be basing your self-worth on your values. Well, I've been ranked pretty much in the top 100 surfs on the planet for close to 10 years. I've desire to help people, this desire to do more than just be a surfer. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Drybra. Of course, you guys can call me Brad. And as always, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm here today with a guest who kind of has so much to talk about. It really does speak to the name of the show, a lot to talk about, right? We're here to wrap up a little bit of his life thus far, the 28 years that have already been, and talk about what's to come in the future, all the projects he's working on, a lot of exciting things. So we're talking pro surfer, um, owner of an alcohol company, which we'll get into, the creator, founder of the Good Human Factory and the Good Human Podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, from your home, your car, or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Mr. Cooper Chapman. How are you, brother? Mate, I'm very well. Thanks for the intro. It's very Bro. very well done off the cuff. I do all my intros separate and just yeah. kick off with a how are you, but that was very well done. Thanks for the beautiful introduction. It's great to be here. Bro, it's, it's very well deserved, and I guess the, the freestyle intro makes it a little bit nerve-wracking. You don't know whether it's going to be amazing or fucking shit, so <laughs> it kind of you know it kind of gets you gets you going at the start of an app. Pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for having us at your place here in, in Narrabeen. want to dive into so much of your story. Like, I come across you, it's always curious to like sit down and go, where did I first come across this guy? And you know, we had a mutual friend in in Uncle Nath, and I was on Nath's podcast. You were on his podcast, and I remember Nath telling me about you. I think you guys had maybe recorded not too long before we had, and we just started chatting. He was telling me about all that you're doing, and then you sort of popped up on Insta. We connected, we had a chat, and I love that there's so much going on in your life that it's almost impossible not to have something to talk about on a podcast <laughs> when you're doing the things that you are. So, pro surfer, entrepreneur, owner of companies and brands and there's so much happening in your life so I kind of want to go back though to begin and maybe give the audience an idea of who you are at the core and where the interest for all of this sort of stuff comes from so maybe give us a bit of a recap of your childhood and what makes Cooper Chapman Cooper Chapman. Yeah I mean I, I grew up in North Narrabeen I'm very fortunate to have a great family life my three beautiful sisters mum and dad grew up in a where we're sitting right now in my family home in North Narrabeen and yeah, I had a really nice upbringing. I was very fortunate to really enjoy school, really enjoy learning. And I think that kind of shaped me to be who I am. I built a lot of curiosity as a youngster, obviously being a professional athlete from quite a young age allows experiences to different cultures, allows experiences and meeting different people. And it really opened my eyes to what's possible out there. For sure. um, yeah. And I, I started surfing when I was like nine or eight or nine and kind of picked it up pretty quickly from the age of 10. I was sponsored. I was competing up and down the East coast of Australia from the age of 11. I was sort of, we're in surfing. You have sort of under 12s, 14s, 16s, which is called yep. the grommet events. And I was quite successful in those ages. So I had a bit of a future planned out for me with surfing. I did have some big dreams and aspirations and still kind of do, but a lot of my focus has shifted now, but yeah, growing up, I just had a fascination with learning. I didn't, I missed quite a bit of school with my surfing, but when I was there, I was just sort of fascinated by, by this idea of just learning every day. I really enjoyed it. Um, 
but yeah, that kind of sparked where I'm at now. I think that curiosity that I built as a young person has grown into the life I'm in now. I definitely went through stages in my late twenties. I mean, late teens, early twenties where I might've gone a bit of sway from the values that I think I hold now, but I think that shaped me for who I am. Today. Yeah. I love that. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, that's, that's a really good point. And there's definitely mountains that we climb throughout our journeys. Right. Mm. And I guess to lend into what you're talking about with your surfing, you know, anyone who's watching this podcast will say there's plenty of boards behind us. I can imagine they've all done their amount of miles on a wave over the course of your time. What sort of got you into surfing? Was that a family thing or just a want or, or need to be out in the ocean? Yeah, definitely a family thing. My dad, I mean, all these boards, anyone who's watching behind us, um, and my dad's and my sister's and oh, wow. kind of just family boards, mostly my dad's and my sister's, a couple of fishes actually as well. But um, yeah, from about the age of, from when I was really young, I remember going down to the beach at Long Reef and to Narrabeen and watching my dad surf and just being around the ocean. And mm. then when I was about eight or nine, I started sort of getting pushed into some waves myself by my dad and then started doing surf life-saving nippers every Sunday. I'd be down there getting pushed into just learning the ocean as an environment and becoming comfortable there. And yeah, I think I just picked it up from such a young age. I was very lucky. I did. I was one of those kids who kind of picked things up pretty quickly. I played professional, or well, not professional, I played representative um, rugby union up until I was like 13, 14, really enjoyed that, yeah. enjoyed that competitive environment with a team. But then, as I said, surfing was just somewhere where I could be alone and progress really quickly, whereas with a team, you kind of at the speed of your team, whereas with surfing, it was just such an individual way to sort of express yourself. And it was just something that I had a lot of talent in from a young age. So from, yeah, 11, I was traveling up and down the coast every school holidays, multiple times surfing in events and never really looked back. My older sister surfed a little bit, but then her best friend, Laura Enivar, um, went on to become like world junior mm. champion and multiple years on the world tour. So that kind of set the path a little bit for me. The beach that I grew up at North Narrabeen has a deep history in professional surfing. So I did have a lot of idols and mentors and a bit of a path set for where, and to show me what was possible. Definitely. And I think that really helped a lot with my career. Sort of seeing other people in your area to inspire you, I think is super beneficial. But yeah, that was kind of the start of the surf career. For sure. I'm looking around a few of these boards. I've actually started surfing in the last two months. Let me tell you, these are all probably about two or three foot too short for me to stand up on. But <laughs> the thing I love about surfing is when you get out of the water, you'd probably, you wouldn't appreciate it at a young age, but you would now. It's kind of the one time where your phone's not on you. Mm. You're a little bit disconnected from the world. It is really a great mental reset. And we'll jump into all of that later because there's so much you're doing in the mental health and well-being space. But when it comes to professional endeavors as a kid, you're right. It builds a certain sense of resilience and a certain sense of character. Mm. And then that obviously flows into a pursuit of excellence in anything that you do. So did you go to the end of school, like end of year 12, and then what were your options then? Or did you leave early and start to pursue things? No, so I definitely went to the end of year 12. It was something that my parents were very adamant that I finish. Um, I think if you leave school before year 12, a lot of young surfers with six, with like talent do leave at that sort of 16 at the end of year 10 age. Yep. But what my dad and what kind of my belief, I mean, at the time I probably kind of wanted to leave, but I was also lucky enough that in year 9, 10, 11 and 12, my last four years of school, I was representing the country surfing at Junior World Games. So 
I was getting plenty of time off already. So I wasn't yeah. too worried about the, oh, I've got to be at school so much. I was spending up to like two to four weeks a term overseas competing on different junior international tours. So for me, year 11 and 12 was quite fun. And like I said, I was very fascinated in learning and I was quite not gifted at school. I feel like if I did put more effort into my studies, I could have done better, but I still did my HSC. I didn't do an ATAR because in year 11 and 12, I just won an Australian title when I was 15 in the yeah. juniors. So I started getting paid to surf when I was in year 11 and 12 and had sort of that future planned out for me after. So I knew I wasn't going to go to university for a few years after school. I knew I definitely had at least that 18 to 21 years old on the surf tour yeah. on the, we call it the qualifying and the junior tour. Um, and yeah, I was already getting paid decent money in year 11 and 12 with a contract leading out of school. So I didn't get an ATAR, but I still finished with like 80s in all of my exams. I did, I think I did like modern history. Modern history was my favorite subject. I think it was my worst subject mark wise, but I just really enjoyed learning about why we live in the world we do. I learned a lot about World War II and Hitler and stuff. And it just really fascinated me. And yeah, I just really enjoyed, for me, getting to go back to school and just catch up with my friends. It's something that you take for granted, I think, once you finish school. Definitely do. The idea of being around lots of your friends for six hours a day is pretty special. Like, we wait until the end of work and the weekends when you're an adult to catch up with your mates, generally. Whereas at school, you literally go to a place to hang out with them all day. So, I think you take it for granted a bit as a kid. But as I said, I was lucky enough to travel so much that when I did go back and have to go to school it was pretty fun for me because I'd get to catch back up with my mates and stuff and share the experiences I've been on and then, yeah, catch up on my work and then zip off again. So, yeah, I finished school, really enjoyed it. And when I left school, I kind of had just surfing directly on my mind for the next few years. Definitely. So you kind of alluded to before there was a plan and mm. that plan maybe didn't go exactly how you'd pictured. So at what sort of stage did the idea of what your future looked like begin to change? Was that... Was it there a catalyst moment? Um, was it a bunch of moments and sort of a long-term thing where things started to shift in a different direction? There wasn't a direct moment. I've just always been very well aware that surfing isn't going to last forever. I've always had this understanding that being a professional athlete is generally something in your 20s. Yep. And I've always known that. And I think that's always been at the back of my mind. So throughout my surf career, my early 20s, I did like a... Um, frontline management TAFE course while I was traveling. I had done little courses along the way just to continue learning. Um, but I was getting paid quite good money in my early 20s to surf. So I was just focused 100% on that. But I always had at the back of my mind, like, what's going to be next? And it, it's hard. I reflect on my surf career and I have been quite successful. I've been ranked pretty much in the top 100 surfs on the planet for close to 10 years. Up until yeah, wow. this year, I've kind of fallen away a little bit just because my focus has changed quite a lot in the past 12 months. But yeah, I just always knew that there was, I needed something more. And I also had this kind of feeling that being an athlete is quite selfish in a weird, like subconscious way. I felt I understand that it's just this, you're doing it for you, obviously your family and people around you support you, but you're doing something purely for your I don't, I don't know the word. You're doing something purely for yourself. It's a, it's a pursuit of your own excellence, which requires so much selfishness. And absolute dedication, which I fully understand and no disrespect to athletes. I've been one for my whole life. But I think there is a lot more space for athletes to do more outside of their sport. And you do see a lot of incredible athletes do use their platform for good. 
but I felt like I wasn't throughout maybe my early 20s. I felt this bit of guilt that I'd lived this incredible life and sort of had this, who am I to live this life? Like, what have I done to be... Obviously, I've worked my ass off. Don't get me wrong. I trained so much during my sort of late teens, early 20s. Yeah. I've dedicated thousands and thousands of hours to surfing. But I also was like, why do I get to travel the world and do this? Like, just because I can ride a surfboard good. So, yeah, that was a bit of the reason where it has led me to the work I'm doing now. And I've always had this desire to help people, this desire to do more than just be a surfer. And, yeah, that kind of led me to where I am now, to this pursuit of trying to utilize the knowledge and the experiences I've gathered for good in the world. Yeah, definitely. You, I think there's two parts to my next question here. It's, you know, listening to what you said there about athletes now using their platforms to do not just what they do best, but to branch off into other things. Probably the, the power of social media in the last five years in particular has really lent to that where I think if I look at the past, like I, I love my sport, right? And grew up watching rugby league like it was my religion and loved like athletics and anything like that and fighting and it was always the top 10 guys in sports that had other things they branched off into but I think socials allowed thousands of people in every sport and hundreds of people in sports like NRL to start little brands and little businesses on the side or just to buy into things and and leverage the audience they've got and the following they've got for maybe post-sport I guess or their post-athletic plan Mm. and we're starting to see that now and obviously that's sort of where you're starting to use your opportunities and you're following to do these sort of things but I think the direction is really important with you because you're doing something that is it's it's such a benefit to the world it's such a benefit to the people who follow you and engage with you I guess my second part of the question is when since when have you had like a really clear purpose can you identify a moment where you sat back and gone this is my purpose and this is what I really want to achieve with this? Oh, it's a hard one. I, I did an Olympic training camp when surfing first got announced in the Olympics. We They selected the top sort of 12. It was like four years out or three years out and they selected the top 12 Australian males as potentials for the Olympic team. And I somehow got selected. I, I luckily had got second in the event in Japan where the Olympics was going to be the year before. So I kind of got in for that reason. I wasn't ranked in the top. I would have been like right. I was right on the cusp and I got to go to this camp. And I remember very clearly, I kind of had this understanding that, you know what, I'm probably not going to go to the Olympics. I'm not in this top two, three conversation. There's only two spots. But I was like, I'm going to try and get as much out of this camp as I can. And we got sat down in a room and there was guys like Mick Fanning was one of like the sort of head selectors and a few of these coaches. And one of the things one of the coaches said, I think it was um, head sports psychologist at Australia. He said, we're not only going to make you guys the best surfers, but we want to make you the best humans as possible. And one of the tasks that we did in one of the seminars was around finding your philosophy. And they told us to go home and spend the night and come back tomorrow with your philosophy written down. I spent quite a bit of time thinking about that. And that was where I really started to reflect on this idea. You know what, maybe, you know what, or I started to bring to the surface this idea of being an athlete seems a bit selfish for me. So I remember it clearly. So I wrote down at the time, my philosophy was through hard work, passion and dedication, being a positive influence to my peers and the younger generations. And that was kind of that tip of the iceberg. Like, all right, this is what I want my philosophy to be. I want to work hard, have dedication and be passionate and be a positive influence, not only to younger generations, but my peers as well. So then it kind of started with that. And it's like, all right, how do I achieve this? 
And then fast forward a year or two and I'd done a bit of surf coaching with some younger kids once I lost my major sponsor about 22, 23 I might have been. Yeah. And I began to work full time. I was working at a surf school and one thing that I did at the surf school, I'd run a few weekend camps like Cooper Chapman Pro Surfer weekend camps to come learn to surf and I'd done some coaching in surfing, skateboarding, gym training and at the time and still now, something I was very passionate about was my meditation, mindfulness and visualis- and visualisation. And yep. one of the exercises I took the young surfers through was a visualisation skill and funnily enough, after that weekend, the... Teach, uh, the parents of a lot of the kids came up to me and said, oh, they love the visualization t- skill you did yesterday with them. Like, oh, I never thought my kid mm. would be into that. And at the time, I didn't think too much of it, but it was a bit of this light bulb moment to me that I could have this positive effect on people by sharing experiences. You're over there coughing, <laughs> trying to stop. Just, <laughs> just cough, go for it. Yeah, Finn, right. Finn's behind the camera there trying not to cough for yeah. us. I'm like, just let it free, brother. Yeah. Let it free. Let it bounce. Let it free. You're right. <laughs> we can all cough whenever we need. Yeah, sorry. Cough. Carry on. Yeah. But I, and just to interject there while you're saying this, I love that because that's something that I think a lot of kids are closed off to that. Mm. So the fact that you're cutting through, obviously something's right. So yeah, sorry. Carry on. Yeah, so that was this starting point, which I didn't realize it was at the time, this starting point, but I guess this is just this idea of taking opportunities when they arise Mm. and just being willing to do something a bit different. Definitely. So fast forward a few years, we're sitting down at the dinner table, just down from where we're recording right now. My younger sister came home from her last year of school in year 12 and said she'd lost a friend to suicide. And it wasn't a close friend. It was just a guy in a year and it sent a bit of a, you know, a shockwave through the family dinner table. And as we all do, when you hear about suicide, you kind of go, Oh, what is sh- like you feel guilty that it's like, oh, I wish somebody could have done something for him. But then you're kind of like, oh, what can I do? It's like, you might share an Instagram tile about suicide yeah. or depression. Two weeks later, she came home and she had another friend take his life from suicide. Oh, and I was just like, what can I do? I was like, I got to do something. I was just, I don't know. I just had this weird feeling. I was like, I got to do something here. And my dad, who's pretty big on mental health stuff as well, which we will talk about shortly, but was like, oh, you should, I know you've put a lot of work into your mental health over the last few years. Maybe you can go and talk to kids at school about the um, things that you, that you do for yourself. And he's like, I remember those parents from a few years ago saying that they really love the visualization and meditation. And it was that moment that I realized that I had this niche to, for one, influence young kids being a young pro surfer. It is quite a niche in the industry I'm in to Definitely. hopefully have... Because so often information is important, but who it comes from is just as important. If you're not willing to absorb the information because it's somebody that's unrelatable to you, if you've got someone coming in from Lifeline who's 45 years old trying to speak to students about spotting the signs of depression, 90% of kids are going to switch off. And I did a workshop yesterday, actually, and I had one of the teachers come up and say, I've never seen a group of 180-year-11 boys sit completely quiet for 45 minutes listening to anything, let alone mental health. So it's a te- well, it's it's very humbling for me to know that the workshops I'm running now are starting to cut through and make people think a bit differently about mental health. And you should be really proud of that, man. Like, and that, that's such a compliment. And I know you're very humble at at nature, so you take that with a grain of salt. But I think you should be really proud of that because you're bang on. You're so right. I had a realization some point this year. I was listening to Mike Tyson speak. And that man's been through a change as a human being, right? And as a guy who was a heavyweight champion of the world, 
you think they're indestructible, right? Mm. You look at these guys with such awe because you think nothing or no one could stop that man. Mm. But then when you hear about the struggles, it becomes so relatable because you think, well, if someone at that pinnacle of a, of a sport like fighting, like boxing, with that success and that much love and that many people that admire him can feel that and experience that and have those lows, mm. I'm susceptible to it too. Yeah. And I think that lends to exactly what you're saying and that's why it's so relatable. So, yeah, man, it's it's such a skill to be able to get in there and do that and well, you've got that gift to do it. We just you touching on that. That's exactly why I started my podcast because I began to realize that through my own quest for knowledge and quest for self-development, I learned so much from listening to people's podcasts, from listening to people like Dylan Alcott, Dylan Buckley, Joe Rogan, just anyone, just listening yeah. to people's stories and reading books allowed me to understand that you can learn from anyone if you go into it with a curious mind. And I understood that I am very lucky to have such a deep network of incredible people from athletes to social media stars to musicians to you name it. And I was like, if I can just share people's stories and let people know that their life isn't as perfect behind the scenes as it looks, as social media shows it, then it's going to give people a lot of relatability and make people be like, oh, you know what, maybe my life isn't that bad if like I listen to this person's story and then I can pick up something from there. So that's why I started my podcast, exactly what you said there. So when you speak about this here, obviously this has been something that you've worked on yourself personally Mm. as an athlete, as a kid far earlier than most people ever consider it. Like I can even speak for myself here. It really, it's really only been probably the last two years that mental health has become very conscious and a very conscious effort for me. Mm. Whereas I think I, I always had really good mental health and I'm really grateful to say that, but I I think it was very unconscious. Like Mm. it was just very much a product of the world I was living in and good support from family and friends and, doing things I loved and challenging myself. I think I'd just put myself in an environment where naturally my mental state could thrive. Mm. But starting a podcast two and a bit years ago and, you know, now speaking to over a hundred guests, you start to hear parts of people's stories. And my second episode was a guy who um, basically, along with a friend of his, had lost a really close mate and they started a mental health foundation. And listening to that kind of made me think about mental health in a real different manner Mm. where it was like, I've never really thought about this from a conscious standpoint before. And you continue to hear it in a lot of the athlete stories, a lot of the stories of people who are successful, who then start facing adversity and coming across these challenges and then questioning themselves. And, you know, we now live in a world, especially through COVID where we lost so many people to, to suicide. Mm. And it's become super conscious to me that it's something you need to work on every week. Absolutely. And I definitely now recognize more than ever when I get a little bit slack with it. Mm. So what was it for you as a, as a young guy in your teens that made that something that you had to be so aware of and something that you so consciously worked on? Yeah, so there's a few layers to this. And this is kind of what I speak about in my workshop. So hopefully I can nail this story pretty good for everyone. But <laughs> growing up, I lost an uncle when I was quite young to suicide. Like I think I was Sorry like five or six. Yeah, thank you. But it, it, it's something, to be honest, it was so long ago and I was so young, it didn't really affect me that much. It was an uncle that I never really got to see, my dad's brother. But then I'd also watch my dad throughout my um, teenage years have struggles with addiction to alcohol, bits of depression here and there. So I was aware that mental health was something. I feel like a lot of people don't even understand that mental health is something that can become an issue. 
And through that journey of my teen years watching that, it kind of made me aware that potentially mental health might be an issue in my life because of sort of that hereditary line that you hear about with mental illness. And because of that, I was always quite conscious. And then I got to a point in my surf career where I think I was in my early 20s and being a young, as I sort of touched on at the start, I was quite successful as a youngster. I had like a lot of success as a junior, that sort of late teens, I had a lot of success. And then I went on to the international, we call it the qualifying series, and my results began to decline. And when you've based your self-worth and nobody has told you any differently to base your self-worth and your personal value on your achievements, it's all well and good when you're achieving a lot of goals quite frequently in your late, you know what I mean, late teens and you're feeling pretty good about yourself, you've got sponsors coming in. And then I hit sort of this international stage and my results began to have a far more inconsistency because I'm going against the best in the world. And I didn't really know how to deal with that. And I went home and I spoke to my sports psychologist with a bit of guilt, kind of, oh, who am I to like have mental health, you know what I mean, problems. But I also understood because of my family history and he challenged me. He said to me, you might not have heard of this concept before, but it's so important not to base your self-worth on your achievements. You should be basing your self-worth on your values. How well do you live to your values? And that opened my world up. What a beautiful way of saying it. Hey? Mm. And he's like, if you're only happy and feeling this sense of success when you're achieving things, you've only got these sort of tips of the mountain to be happy. But if you're living by your values and you identify and do the self-work to discover your values, you can be happy every single day. You can be ticking off little bits of your values, hitting that sort of peak every day, but you're always right there. So I went on this sort of self-development journey in my early 20s reading, oh, I've probably read 50 self-development books. And what I've discovered is 45 of them weren't for me, but it took me 50 to get to the ones that did work for me. And I think that's a really important thing when it comes to this sort of quest for knowledge and self-development. So many people might pick up one book and be like, oh, it wasn't for me. I've picked up multiple books that I've learned things that I'm like, hmm, I'll be curious about this. I'll try this. Hey, that wasn't for me. All good. But then I've found certain things that are so important to me and they kind of all seem to lean back on this value thing. And that's where my workshop with The Good Human Factory stems from is developing values and understanding that if we can develop strong values, so the five values that I try and live by are responsibility, so taking responsibility for sort of everything that's happening in my life, gratitude, I can practice gratitude every single day. I know that I'm going to be on the right path. I'm looking for good things in my life rather than bad things empathy if i can be there for the friends around me if i can listen to people if i can learn from people mm. and i can empathize that we all live a different life it's great for my own life because it makes me understand how different we all are and gather perspective mindfulness and meditation is another value that i live by if i can practice mindfulness every single day try and make sure that i can be as present as possible as often as possible and then try and practice grat i mean meditation Every, I mean, I'm on like 300 days in a row at the moment, but... Yeah, wow, what a streak. Yeah, we can talk about that um, shortly when we get more into the good human factory, but uh, mindfulness and then also kindness. The more I started to get into mental health, the more I started to do study and understand the power of kindness and what it's actually doing chemically to our brain is releasing oxytocin and serotonin. So it's literally like making you happier by being kind to people. And I never got taught that at school. Yeah. It's, it's simple, but... You don't actually get taught that until you actually become aware of it. So they're the five values. If I'm practicing responsibility, kindness, gratitude, mindfulness, and empathy, 
not every single day, but at least all five of them every second day, every third day, then I know my mental health is going to be maintained. That fifth one there, kindness, when you said that, it made me think of something I'd seen on social media and then it just clicked to me. It was actually a clip of yours. <laughs> it was a clip you where you spoke about, about Japan? yeah, Japan. I'd love to hear that story. Okay. So the story goes like this. This is one of the moments, and I say this in my workshop as well when I talk about kindness to students, is this is a moment where I really changed my mind a lot about kindness. So I was about in my early 20s. Oh, I would have been like, yeah, mid to early 20s. And I'd lost early in the surf comp. Me and a few of my friends had all lost quite early. And we were having a bit of a bad day. We were pretty bummed. We'd lost early in the surf comp. And then we went into Tokyo and we're like, we'll go to Tokyo and we'll buy ourselves a couple of gifts and sort of make ourselves happy again. Buy ourselves some crap in Tokyo. And then we end up back out uh, where we're staying for the surf comp. And we go out to dinner at a sushi restaurant and we're sitting there and the guy making us food was a legend. And he was like, hey, how you guys going? We're like, yeah, good. He's like, how's your day? And we're like, oh, it was pretty shitty this morning. We all lost, lost in the surf comp. Went out to Tokyo and we bought ourselves something nice and we're feeling pretty good now. And he's like, oh, you guys have got it all wrong in the Western world. And we're like, what do you mean? And he's like, you guys think when you're having a bad day, buy yourself something nice. That's not going to make you feel good for any longer than a few hours. If you're having a bad mm. day, go and do something nice for somebody else. That'll actually, to the core, make you feel good. And ever since hearing that, it made me really change my mind on what the power of kindness is. And it made me reflect Definitely. on the moments in my life where I have done something nice for somebody else. And I'm sure every single person out there listening right now can take a moment right now and reflect and reflect on the feeling it brings you when you do something nice for somebody and go, oh yeah, that is like pure happiness. Definitely. It's, man, it's so true. I remember second episode of my podcast, and this is probably what gave me a little bit of a nudge that it was time to consider leaving my job in real estate. The second episode was, as I said, a, a guy who had been behind a mental health organi organization named Talk To Me Bro. And I had him on the podcast and I still remember getting a message from someone just after. And I'd started to feel this real sense of detachment from the love of the work that I was doing over the course of six to 12 months. And I really just didn't feel fulfilled anymore. And I was kicking all of these financial goals at work. And all of these targets that I'd set out to achieve for three and a half years, they were like my goals when I entered real estate were now realities. And I'd sold four properties in 48 hours this week. And, you know, I was on a high from a working sense, but I just didn't feel good. Like it was like, I'm here and I was once here, but why doesn't it feel like it did when I was back here? Mm. And it just made no sense. And I still remember receiving a message from a girl and she said to me, my partner's just lost his dad. And he's been in a really bad place mentally. This episode made me feel like I know how to connect with him again. Thank you so much. And I still remember sitting there and reading that message. And I was so early in this podcast journey. And I thought, that makes me feel better than I've ever felt selling mm. a house. Like there's been no moment signing a contract and putting a sold sticker on a board where I felt as good and as fulfilled as I do in this moment right now. And it's that, it's that kindness, it's that service of others that is mm. so powerful. And I think we, you're right, we just forget it in the Western world. That, that Japanese sushi chef, man, he's, he's a wise fellow because it's, it's so true, but I think we lose track of it. We mm. all look to ourselves for, for happiness, but sometimes it's looking outside of yourself and, and how can I help the world? Absolutely, yeah. I, I try and live by that and it's something that I wish I learned earlier and it's something that I need to remind myself of every day. Like we all get trapped. And it's funny, the world we live in 
is this world where the best psychologists in the world work for the biggest corporations in the world trying to tell you when you get this, then you'll be happy. We live in a world of marketing. Everything, you look left, right, you look on your phone, ads, 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 telling you that, hey, once you get this, then you'll feel good. Once you get this, then mm. you'll be happy. Once you get this, then you'll have everything. It's all bullshit. Like, it is. It's all already there to be given and you get happiness from helping others. You can, yeah, attain things at times in your life. There's nothing wrong with like having goals and buying a house and getting a nice car and doing things like that. But we always need to reflect back on and remember that real happiness comes from helping others. Real happiness comes from being grateful for what we already have. And some so often we put... Pardon me. So often we put this expectation on how we're going to feel once we achieve these big goals, like you said, with your um, real estate stuff. But then we get there and it's not what we seemed anyway. So it's so important that, and it's as cliche as it comes, but like enjoy the journey and trying to find those moments in every day that you can find happiness. And it can be as simple as when you get served at a gas service station, genuinely say, oh, thanks so much. I hope you have a really good day. Just a change in tone and a change in, vocabulary towards people that are strangers can brighten up their day and it brighten up, brightens up your day just by them smiling back at you and actually feeling that genuine connection with another human. Without a doubt, there's a, there's a fellow that I love listening to and I read his book, Jay Shetty. Mm, I'm sure you're familiar like with Jay. Yeah. And I read Jay's book. I actually read half. I'm a, I'm a fucking terrible reader. I read half of it and listened to the back half. <laughs> and one of the things that stood out to me very early in the book was when he went to train and, and study as a monk, the day was split up into two parts, service of self and service of others. And I really liked that concept and it made me think about my life and the things that I'm doing. And that guy is a guy amongst a few others who's definitely helped me narrow in on my purpose and the idea of that, or as you might call it, your philosophy. Mm. And the thing I love about that is I think we need to all look at our lives in that sense. Like, And I think it almost brings a sense of purpose to, to what some people do for work. Like if you can look at that as how can I serve others whilst I'm here? Mm. And then in that time I have outside of that, what are the healthy things I can be doing for my own mental health, for my own physical health? And it all ties into this beautiful balance. So with your five values there, I can imagine that they all tie into either service of others and then service of how do I get the best out of me? It's obviously inspired you to create the good human factory and Talk to me about that as a whole now. Like, what does that, what does that whole thing mean to you? And what's the whole vision for for good humans? I think the the underlying theme of it all, and it's interesting, kind of, it's hard to articulate this, but I've always had this feeling through that late teen, early twenties, where I maybe a bit of ego got in the way of who I was. This feeling and this desire, and I guess it's just moral, your moral compass. When I knew I was doing something wrong based on my values yeah and it was i always i just had this feeling that there was always this good human there that was like telling me i was doing something wrong but i wouldn't listen to it a lot and that's kind of the underlying where the good human factory came from if you can we can all be working on ourselves always to become better humans like that's a baseline of what i do and it's funny i, I recently had somebody kind of where i grew up in this local area here be like oh you like call yourself the good human i was like I forgot for so long that from the, until then I didn't even realize that people must think that I call myself like this good human. I'm like, absolutely not. The good human factory is like, you come to the good human factory, you leave a bit better of a human. It's like a yeah. factory, you know what I mean? 
So whether you come to the socials of the Good Human Factory, you're inspired by a quote, you're inspired by a story from one of our ambassadors from part of our community, you leave a little bit better of a human. So that's kind of the base of the Good Human Factory. But it all started with workshops. Initially, after that conversation at my um, dinner table, after my sister lost her friends, my dad was like, you should try and do some workshops at schools. So I went and chatted to my old school teacher um, where I went to school just down the road from my house here and told him kind of what I was thinking. I was like, I just want to come and chat to the kids about some of these skills that I think will help their lives. And he's like, mate, great idea. He was real entrepreneurial, this young teacher that was a good friend of mine. And he was like, there's actually a really big industry as well. Like there's a lot of money that schools and corporates and everyone have for mental health. There's obviously, this was like prior COVID and stuff about a year before COVID. And so I kind of like the business side of my mind sort of sprung up and went, oh, this is like a great way to tick the box of fulfillment, but also work. So I started very naively thinking, sweet, I'll start the Good Human Factory. Schools will be like, yep, let's book this guy as a pro surfer straight away. No worries. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I've like just started to get to the point where I'm consistently getting bookings because it takes a lot of time to build credibility and also takes a lot of time to develop the skills to engage people when you're talking about stuff like mental health. Definitely. Um, But yeah, I found my part in the industry a little bit different. I just thought back to when I was at school and the way that I viewed mental health and you keep hearing this break the stigma and let's like change the way we talk about mental health. But after looking around the whole industry and doing a lot of research, close to 95% of the mental health industry is around crisis, is around spotting the signs of depression, spotting the signs of anxiety, helping your mate when they're struggling. And that's 5% of 100% spectrum of what mental health is. Mental illness is just like illness. You might have, well, in Australia, 20% of Australians are going to be diagnosed with a mental illness in their life, one in five. But but five in five of us have mental health. And that was my angle with the good human factory. Let's inspire that four in five and as well the one with the mental illness is going to get just as much, if not more out of this as well. But like, I wanted to go in and be this inspirational young guy that just sparks curiosity in a different way of thinking about mental health. I'm not a psychologist. I didn't want to go in there and try and act like I could fix this big crisis problem for people because I can't. But if I can spark some curiosity and encourage people to think a bit differently about mental health, and I don't use the word anxiety or depression at all in my workshop. I go in and speak about values and say, Hey, if you're living by values if you practice these certain little things on a daily or weekly basis, 1% of your day, we can all agree 1% of our day should be dedicated to our mental health, right? Yeah, for sure. The biggest killer in people aged 16 to 44 in Australia. Surely we can give 1% of our day to that. We're given, you get told 30 minutes a day exercise to like stop against heart disease, blah, blah, blah. But suicide's the biggest killer, yet we're not getting taught that we should give 1% of our day to our mental health. So that's a lot of the concept that I talk to students about is developing these really simple skills that the byproduct is good mental health. Mm. And that's where I've began to have my success is this different approach to mental health, trying to make it a bit more cool, make it a bit more fun. And yeah, I began to engage some incredible athletes from uh, motocross to F to BMX to divers, snowboarders. I've got tennis play, like it's crazy the amount of incredible athlete humans that are part of the good human factory now as ambassadors. Like I think I've got like, an Olympic tennis player, Storm Sanders, who played with Barty in the Olympics, yeah, got well. third in Wimbledon doubles last year. Um, Storm, I mean, Britt O'Brien and Sam Fricker, two divers who went to yeah. the Olympics. Yeah. Um, who else? Ryan Williams, 
doesn't need much of an introduction. Yeah. Uh, Wheelie is like the best Nitro Circus athlete of all time. Yeah, Harry yeah. Bink, Nitro Circus. Um, Wheelie's won like three X Games gold medals. Alex Hayes, who's my best mate and just uh, all around yep. legend. Um, oh, who else do we have? Basically just all these incredible athletes. Ben Tudhope just joined our Paralympic Athlete of the Year for Australia yeah, this wow. year. So it's been really cool to give athletes a really easy platform to have a bit more purpose and touching on something that you said before this idea of like a lot of athletes feel a bit selfish and have a platform now with socials it still is quite hard to authentically connect with for one a mental health organization but any i mean i'm not a charity but just like any movement yep. to do it authentically and i felt like as an athlete i was like this is a cool way for it to be like by a young professional athlete not for young professional athletes but a place that young cool athletes can be like, Hey, this is just like something that I can align Definitely. with. Cause it's just someone like me doing something like this. And I wanted yeah. to, a lot of the athletes that well, almost, I think all of the athletes who are ambassadors, uh, have higher success in their sport than I do in surfing. So they don't have the time and the flexibility to put a lot of energy into things. But if yeah. I can create this organization that people can align with and spread their message however they want and have a few little requirements, like sending us a mental health tip every now and then jump on the podcast wearing the merch. I just wanted to give other athletes a cool platform. And then in the future, I have this vision of giving athletes a post-career path. I want to build the good human factory into this speaking business. Well, not speaking business, but just continue it as a good human factory. But rather than just me run my workshops, once my friends or my ambassadors finish their career and like most people lose a bit of identity and get a bit lost, I want to give them a bit of a pathway to come and run workshops. That's amazing. Which is for me, it would just be quite fulfilling to give people that I know get quite lost at the end of a career a little path yeah, that's definitely. already established because I <laughs> not, wouldn't wish it on the world, wish, wouldn't wish it on many people, but building a business is tough. And what I've sort of grown to now has taken so much time, so much. I mean, I'm, I can't believe how lucky I've got, to be honest, COVID and a year of JobKeeper gave me yeah. the nicest sort of like backboard to be able to build the good human factory while all my surf comps were cancelled i qualified for job keeper and my accountant was like look this is a great opportunity to build the good human factory while you can get this small income off the government so that was kind of this godsend for me to build up to where i am now and yeah it's it's been a journey but it's, it's been really fun well brother you should be so proud of yourself that you've used that for the good of others and I love your mentality where you spoke about, you know, if 20% of our Aussie population is diagnosed with a men mental illness at some point in their life, you know, what about the 80% that aren't? They still have that mental health, right? Mm. And, and for the 100%, we all have to do those things that are almost preventative. Mm. And, you know, for me, growing up with cystic fibrosis, I remember my first doctor, um, well, I've had a, I had a terrible first doctor's experience, which everyone on the podcast has heard enough times where he basically just said to my parents, he said, oh, I think I was like three months at the time. And he said, mate, your son will be better off with cancer because it'd kill him or he'll get over it. This will ruin his life. And they just didn't accept that at all. They were like, that's not our attitude. We'll find someone who's more positive. They found a doctor, Dr. John Morton. His philosophy was always prevention is better than cure. If we can do things right, right now, if we can go above and beyond and do those extra one percenters to make sure that his health is maintained, it's looked after, we look at the full picture, we do everything in our power to make sure that he's a healthy, athletic young kid, then those issues will likely not come. And that philosophy worked an absolute treat for me. It mm. was, 
really an opportunity for me to stay in peak athletic condition to look after my cystic fibrosis my lungs my digestion in a really holistic way that when I got to the age where most people started running into troubles yeah I still had my hurdles but I had such a strong foundation mm. of my health and of my lung strength that I was able to come through the other side of them pretty pretty scot-free really yeah and I think it's probably much the same with mental health while some things are out of our control if you've got this solid base and this solid understanding of who you are and what your values are, then when those issues arise or when those mountains form up in front of you, you've got the ability to climb them and find yourself on the top and then over the other side. Exactly. And I think it all starts with awareness and self-awareness. And I'll give you a little story as an example. Like if I gave you one of these surfboards behind us right now with all the fins screwed in and say, can you take the fins out without a fin key? Would you be able to do it? No. Probably not. One of the main reasons why humans are the most dominant and the most prominent species on this planet, well, are the most, is our ability to utilize tools. If I mm. give you the fin key, it's very easy to take those fins out. It's just like mental health. If you're not utilizing the incredible tools that we have out there, things like meditation, gratitude, the awareness that socializing with friends, connection with friends, being in nature, all these things have a positive effect on our mental health. If you don't have the awareness of these tools that we do have at our disposal, a lot of them are free. Gratitude and meditation are both free. Then it is going to be very hard to get those, you know what I mean? Get those fins out to attain peace of mind if you're not utilizing these great tools that we have out there. So what I try and encourage my audience and the community I've built now is dedicating 1% of your day to your mental health. Obviously, we want more, but minimum 1%. Yeah. Hopefully everyone out there listening right now can agree, you know what, 1% of my day should be to my mental health. So 1% of a 24-hour day is 14 minutes, give or take. And I came up with this concept about close to 12 months ago now, and I was sitting there doing a meditation actually, and I was like, far out, like this is so good, <laughs> trying to like get my brain stop thinking, but yeah. I generally sit there and meditate and just think about ideas because... I'm a very active just thinker. Wide, yeah, yeah, that's how I'm wide. But I was sitting there. I, I'm pretty sure I was sitting there doing like a 20-minute meditation. And I stopped midway through because I felt like this was such a good idea and started writing stuff down. <laughs> but the idea was this idea of we should be able to dedicate 1% of our day to our mental health. And I'd done some um, – I'd done this men's group. I don't know what you'd even call it. Men's like wellness group thing. It was like a 12-week challenge. And what we got taught in this challenge was that you're 95% more likely to maintain a habit if you have an accountability group. So I was like, on Instagram, I was like, anyone want to join a good human factory accountability group? Every morning, I'll send a 10-minute meditation. Every night, we'll start a gratitude, write three things you're grateful for from today train. And that's 14 minutes of your day, 10% of your day on your, I mean, 1% of your day on your mental health, 10 minutes of meditation, four minutes of gratitude, pretty simple. Great way of breaking it down too. Yeah, easy. Just break it into those two little things. Think about what went well in your day at night. In the morning, clear your mind, get ready for the day. Pretty simple concept, but we all get it wrong sometimes. But yeah, I'm on a, because of these groups, I'm on a 314 or 318 day streak, I think right now of both, because every morning I send a 10 minute guided meditation from YouTube and every night I put on my story and then send it to these groups. And it started, I think the first day that I sort of reached out on social or in Instagram stories, I think I had like 40 people join up in the first day, which I was like, wow, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's amazing. Now there's 800 people every oh, single wow. day. Yeah, it's crazy. I've got 25 individual group chats on Instagram that I send their guided meditation in the morning and they write their gratitudes in at night. And I think... I've, for the last like oh, 12 weeks now, I've been doing the 1% podcast. 
yep. where I bring some light to the people in the group and I read out a bunch of their gratitudes and count all of the gratitudes, how many are each week. So I think last week there was like two and a half thousand gratitudes written in. Well, wow, And that's that. like week in, week out now and the groups are growing every single week. So if you're out there listening right now and you want to join, send at the Good Human Factory an Instagram message saying I want to join the club. And yeah. What's fascinated me about this, so is, and I always tell people this, and they're like, oh, why do you have 25 group chats? Reason one is because Instagram doesn't let you have more than 30 people in a group chat. But reason two is what I just, instead of moving it off platform from Instagram, I realized that by having 20, 30 people from all around the world, if you ask to get at it, I just throw you in a random group. So it's all strangers. But it's created these little communities of people where they feel mm. safe to share their gratitudes every day. They see the same person from the other side of the world or another community, you know what I mean? Another part of Australia writing these gratitudes and it gives you a good opportunity for one, to see what other people are grateful for. It makes you reflect and go like, oh, far out. I did have a few things to be grateful for. Somebody can be grateful for something that small or Definitely. that different. And then the other thing I'm realizing a lot of people are sending in and telling me is that it's making them go throughout their day looking for things they're grateful for. So they've, got, so they've got something to write at night, but then it just changes this mindset to be a grateful person, to look around yeah. like, oh, fire out, that was nice today. Like, oh, I'm going to write that in my gratitudes tonight. So it's just trying to like change these small mindsets with things like gratitude and med meditation and mindfulness, not even use the word mental health, but the byproduct of these things is good mental health. Yeah, you know, it's funny you talking about that 14 minutes in your day and specifically talking about that four minutes of gratitude at night. Gratitude, it's kind of become a buzzword mm. where we may be recognized as being parts of our life up until this point where we have, I guess, expressed our gratitude or thought about gratitude and blessings. And I look back on my childhood and something that I probably only really understood the power of now is through my teen years or probably my early teen years, we used to live with my auntie and uncle for a little bit in between finding our next place. And I remember every night, shout out to my Uncle Jay and my Auntie Kaz, we would sit there as a massive family over dinner and my uncle started this thing where every night he'd just say, all right, everyone, best part of your day. Mm. And we used to go around the table and share the best part of our day and something we learned that day. Mm. And I remember looking back on that, I had just a moment of realization talking about gratitude on the pod with a guest a little while back and I thought, far out, that mindset just there, like I... I didn't appreciate how much at the time that actually has carried on with me. Mm. And for me, you know, I feel really grateful. I live with a condition that unfortunately stops a lot of people from living their life. Mm. And it's really, it's more so powered mine than anything. I, you know, consider it my greatest blessing and biggest teacher. But I, I was running, like I, I've started running the last two years. And part of what I do for the charity now is run marathons. And I drag people like Foodie on it <laughs> with me. And... I was running one day by myself, a little solo 20K mission. It was my first ever 20K run. And three weeks before, I'd been in hospital coughing up blood. Actually, it was probably four weeks before, and, you know, I couldn't run 5Ks to save my life. And I remember trekking through Pucky's, a little trail just near the beach at home, and it's going through this trail. I was about 12Ks in, and I was hurting, and a bit of, like just a few mental demons. And I remember being there. The sun was out. I'm running by myself through this beautiful patch on the beach, and I remember just sitting there and thinking, we're not sitting there, trotting there. And I was like, far out. Like, this is such a blessing. Four weeks ago, I was in hospital, you know, coughing up blood in a hospital gown. Now I'm out here doing this. And I remember just saying, like, it was almost like just a few words of affirmation, a few words of gratitude. And I call it counting my blessings where I was like, 
blessed to be out here, blessed to be running, blessed to be healthy, blessed to be surrounded by the people that I love, blessed that my worst day would be considered someone's best. Mm. I'm blessed. And it almost fucking powered that next 8Ks. Like, I just ran off pure gratitude for the next 8Ks. And I remember finishing and thinking, the way that that changed my mental state and the way that then my mental state changed the way that my whole physical body and being felt mm. is so powerful. And it sounds, like you said before, it can sound so cliche. It can sound like that buzzy sort of topic or that thing that people say. And whether it's placebo or not, I think is irrelevant, right? The way that that changes the chemistry of your body and allows you to feel like you're in such a better place than you were, it's just powerful. Like mm. it has to be a part of people's day. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I spoke to a neuroscientist on my podcast recently. Shout out Nicole Vignola awesome chick from over in um the uk and she spoke about the effects that gratitude and kindness does have on our brain and it releases serotonin and oxytocin which makes us happy mm. which you know what i mean it literally makes us feel better so the more that we can have that understanding that things like gratitude can have that effect on us and i break gratitude into two little things well into two categories is like being grateful for others and being grateful for your own life and i got told almost every single day when I was a kid from my dad, appreciation, not expectation. Fuck, and the that's more... A, that's amazing yeah, words as a kid one? to hear, yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, but I'll tell you a story why I love telling this one. So when I was about 10 or 11, I remember always going to my sister's netball games and would be at the netball game and I'd always say to dad, can I have five bucks to go to the canteen and get a Magnum? And he'd always give me a dollar and be like, go get an icy pole. Oh, this was probably a dollar back then when I was 18 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Cost of living's gone up a bit, but... <laughs> He'd give me a dollar and go, go get an icy pie and be like, oh, come on, dad, stop being a scab. Give us five bucks. Let me go get a Magnum. And he'd always be like, nah, here's a dollar. And then he would always say like, come on, mate, appreciation, not expectation. And I was just like, oh, run off, go get me icy pie. I'll come back, complain. But then he would always say to me like, look at the kid over there. He's got nothing. He doesn't have an icy pile. And I'd be like, huh, didn't think much of it at the time. But now I reflect back on those times, mm. just like you sitting around that dinner table with your uncle and realize the effect that those little not habits, but those little words of affirmation and those little moments in our upbringing can have on us. And Definitely. it takes being, I feel a bit more mature and understanding and having the capacity to look back and understand how that made you feel. And yeah, I was just drilled it from such a young age. And that's that idea of gratitude for what we have and appreciating what we do have rather than expecting something else. And it relates back to what we were talking about before with this marketing thing, like, Oh, when you get this and you'll be happy. It's, no, it's look for the things that you already have and find a way to be happy for them. Definitely. And yeah, that's, yeah, gratitude's powerful. <laughs> and obviously like, so you got the good human factory, but then you got the good human podcast, yeah. right? And is that sort of just the thing that allows you then empower this out to even more people and to have those more in-depth conversations? And, you know, the thing that I love the most about podcasting is whilst I get to serve others, it is so much service of myself too because I get to sit across from guys like yourself and and you learn and you listen and you never leave a chat deflated. Mm. Like I, you always leave a chat feeling better about yourself and like what your purpose is in your journey in the world. Yeah, we well just learn so much and it's such a lost art conversation. Like you touched on at the start, surfing is a great place to put your phone down and not have to be on your social media and on your phone. Likewise, with doing a podcast, I find there's like an hour or 90 minutes where I just sit there purely having a conversation, getting to know mm. somebody, learning their story, learning from their story. And if you can go into a conversation with the curiosity to learn rather than the lack of humility, thinking you already know everything, like oh, I'm not going to learn anything from this person. 
like I've had like big brother stars. I had a, a friend of mine who was on maths recently. Who's I spoke that? To, um, Jack Miller. Oh yeah, Jack has a mate of ours too. Oh no way! Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, you guys are South Coast. Yeah, South Coast boys. Yeah, Long Jack, boys. I had Jack on the other day. So yeah, Jack, he's Jack, do you know Sam O'Brien? He used to live down in Wollongong. Sam O'Brien, I, I know the name. Yeah. So Sam O'Brien is grew up in Wollongong, moved up to Sydney oh, ten years ago, and when he moved here, we became best mates straight away. Yep. Somehow, just through connections. And Jack is he's be, the best man at his wedding because they grew up together. Okay. Yeah. So me and Jack are mates through that. But yep. Yeah. That's how I had Jack on, but. I lost my train of thought now. But yeah, so everyone has a, such a unique and incredible story if you're willing to learn from it. Yeah. And you have that humility to be like, oh, wow, let me try and see if this person's little thing that they said they brought into their life. Or a good example, I had um, my first episode actually with a guy called Ryan Cullen and a pro surfer from Newcastle. And he lost his dad to leukemia when he first qualified for the World Surf Tour, mm. which he said was quite hard and he didn't really face it upon reflection he talks about this a lot in the podcast and then a year later almost to the day his mum died of a brain aneurysm on mother's day so incredible story of resilience but what i learned from that was he told me how differently he approached the passing of his mum due to how he the lack of awareness from the passing of his dad he never faced it he never went and saw anyone and then when his mum passed he knew he needed to so he did that so where i'm going with this is because of that conversation i know now i'll treat a similar situation differently. Definitely. And I think that's the power of conversation is learning from, like my dad always said to me, it's good to learn, the be- it's good to learn from your mistakes, but it's better to learn from somebody else's mistakes. Same thing with experiences. It's great to learn from your own experiences, but if you can learn something positive from somebody else's experience, amazing. You don't even have to experience it yourself. I, I love that, man. And because there's definitely moments for me throughout the course of like 112 odd guest episodes where there's always a profound moment in any podcast. Like if you look hard enough, if you listen closely enough, there's always something you'll walk away and that's like your gem because mm. you can walk away with everything, but often it's that one thing that stays with you. And one thing that stayed with me, which I, I bring this up because you'd probably know him, Taylor Cecil. Yeah. So Taylor come on my podcast maybe a year and a bit ago and I really get on with Taylor. Like he's, he's such a sound mind. He's such a good dude. And on that podcast, he said to me this philosophy that he applies to training and it's 50% art, 50% science. And that concept and the way he explained it really sat with me almost from a view of life. Mm. Now we spoke about before, like, you know, if you can break things up into two parts, like service of others, service of self, for me, that science and art is like the science is, I like to have a plan. I like to know what direction I'm headed in, but also then being a little more accepting of sometimes life's flow and the Mm. way it pulls you and pushes you in directions that maybe weren't planned, but sometimes there's some gems over there too. And, and just like you said, the, the lesson of just being able to listen and like make the most of those moments on podcasts with amazing guests as you pick up those little things that definitely stay with you. Yeah. For me, it feels like you've almost got listening to, you know, the near hour that we've been on here now, this constant, role model guru person to look up to and to to always confide in in your life and your dad you mention him a lot and it sounds like he's a really sound mind and he's been a great teacher for you what does family mean to you in particular that relationship with your old man yeah i mean thanks for asking that question it's nice to have this space to reflect on this and it's really cool we're sitting in my dad's office right now where we record this and i actually recorded an episode with him in here because mm. I was trapped and didn't have a guest for my next day. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to do one. 
did it with my dad. He ended up being like, he's quite humbled and shy with his story being out there. So he didn't let me release it. I did get one incredible excerpt. You can check that out on my Instagram. But yeah, my dad's been, like you said, and I, like I've touched on many a times, one of my biggest teachers. I've got three sisters. So me and my dad have always been quite close. And there's been ups and downs in our sort of relationship from him trying to sort of be a bit over there, over in my corner with surfing. And I'd snap back at him for giving me advice that I wasn't ready to hear. But now it's come real full circle. And I think it's really special. Like he's my biggest supporter. I know how much the work that I do really influences him. Yeah. And it's been interesting. And when you say family, it's really cool. The parallels that I feel like I'm bringing to my family, my mum growing up. And I think this is a big reason why I do the work I do. My mum is one of those people or was that didn't really believe in mental health, had this get over it. Like you're a man yeah, mentality. And she still does just a little bit, but the one thing that I'm really proud of, and this comes quite a lot back to my philosophy and this idea of not only being a positive influence to younger generations, but my peers. And I treat my parents and my family as my peers. If I can be a positive influence on them, that's massive to me. And as I said before, my dad has suffered mental health issues and he calls me, he listens to every one of my episodes and calls me after everyone and gives me feedback and advice and lets me know, like I said, he's my biggest fan, but he also tells me how much it helps him. So yeah. that's something I'm probably the most proud of is this idea of helping my peers. And yeah, I love that. Another example is a great friend of mine, Corey Tunison. He's three-time world champion wakeboarder. And we've become quite really close friends in the last 18 months, two years. And he came to me after um, being friends for quite some time. We're just driving back. And I think because of the work I do, I've subconsciously given space to the people around me to open up a bit about mental health. I just tend to be that lighthouse guy now because it's something I don't shut up about because I realize that mental health doesn't have to just talk about anxiety and depression. Mental health can be just talking about your relationships with people. And that was something that Corey opened up to me about was his relationship with his family. And I just kind of gave some absolutely no scientific or anything, just some mate to mate words of sort of not even advice. Just I pretty much just gave him space to talk himself and he got to the, conversation he needed to have with his dad or his family by himself but i gave him that space and he came to me a few weeks later and was like man you've literally changed the whole dynamic of my family because of the conversation i recently had with my dad how good for the better and that to me like your moment in that second episode is so much more bigger like so much bigger than the work you know what i mean i get messages every day that i'm helping people but that idea of helping those closest to you yeah it's so important to me and i treat all my friends like family so yeah, that's something that I'm so proud of because I know they'll all be there for me if I go through some struggles. So that's really important to me. Yeah, family's everything. And to know the effect that I'm having on my dad is huge. But then also, like I said before, changing this perspective of my mum's understanding of mental health. And like my mum's a uh, member of the 1% Club. She would have never meditated before. And she's like, well, add me into it then. And I was like, all right, I'll add you in. And she's, yeah, about 200 days straight of meditating every morning and I writing her that. gratitudes at night. So that's like pretty special knowing that the impact that you can have on those closest to you. That, that makes me really happy for you, brother. I love hearing that, man. Mm. That's so nice. You know, it's it's like you said, I'm, I'm so close to my family. Like my family's everything to me. Like just they've, without them, I honest, I don't think I'd be here alive and healthy like I am mm. now. And I'm so, so blessed and so grateful that I'm very biased. I believe I've got the best ones in the world, you know, like I'm so lucky, but I always look and reflect on that. And I look at 
particularly you spoke about it with your mum, right? Like I look at my grandparents and I've got my my nana pop on my dad's side still. I lost my mum's mum, my, my nana Rhonda, maybe like two years ago now. Um, and I never met her husband or my mum's father. Um, pop died when my mum was 16. So my mum didn't have her parents around. But when you look at that older generation, there's you know, they've grown up in different times, right? Mm. And I think our generation is actually, like you said in your case, really helping them understand the other side to, to living, the other side to being a human being that maybe they never had the time or understanding of. Like I look at my grandparents and their mentality was work extremely hard, just toughen up, keep moving forward, take the knocks, keep moving forward. It's this, um, it's this mentality of like scarcity where it's like, save everything you have don't really experience anything that you don't need to you just go to work you just Mm. live your life it's it's a really mundane existence outside of raising a family and you know and being a human being within that little world and my grandparents they stress about me man because i've left my job i've sold my apartment i'm i'm doing something that really provides very limited financial sustainability until you start to tick some of those bigger goals and it's probably about two months ago my nan called me and she lives below me. So I see them all the time, but she called me and we're having a chat. And like my pop went from being extremely active at 80 where he walked 12 Ks a day and hit weights every day to two knee reconstructions and a stroke. And my nan called me and she's asking me about how the podcast is going and you know what I was up to that week. And she said something to me that I've never heard from her before. And it was, you know what, Brad, we always thought work hard, save all your money, don't spend anything above your means and just enjoy yourself when you get old. She said, we had the wrong mentality. It's not how life works. Enjoy yourself now, love what you do and don't stop chasing the dream. And hearing that, it made me emotional hearing it because you could sense uh, an element of regret in Mm. her voice that their time now to do those things is past. And, you know, they're the most amazing people. Like, like I said, I'm very blessed with the family I have, but I think I wish they just enjoyed their life a little bit more, but it definitely put mine in perspective. And to, to know that you can have influence on those people around you, like you said, is so special. But I think as a, as a generation who is so aware and, and maybe in some elements more self-aware than ever, Mm. we really have an opportunity not just to help those younger than us and and the next generation, but the generations have passed. Yeah, I think you're bang on there. Thanks for sharing that about your grandma. It's so special, like you said, to know the influence you can have. And it's something I've noticed a lot with the work I'm doing. I carry a lot of imposter syndrome walking into a room to do a workshop with adults. You know what I mean? Like next week, I'm going to do two workshops with 100 or 200 hospital staff in Newcastle. But I'm going in there confident now. For one, because I've gathered the data and have the testimonials to back me up to know that the work I'm doing is having an impact. And I've spoken to close to 5,000 students in the last 12 months and over 1,000 corporates. So I understand the impact I am having, which does help a lot with the imposter syndrome. But when I started, there was so much like, who am I to be talking to these people? Mm. But what I noticed, the workshop I developed for students, the teachers were coming up to me saying, oh, that was so good. Like, can you do that for the staff? And I was like, huh. So then I started pitching the exact same student workshop to adults and I don't change my workshop for students to adults at all. And it's received in the way that people want to receive it. And I think it's so important to make sure that your message is versatile enough. If you can't explain it to a kid, then it's going to like, you know what I mean? 
I don't need to be in there talking about the depth of science around mental health. Like I just want to spark curiosity and inspire people to take responsibility for their own mental health. Definitely. And going on the thing where you spoke about with the lack of encouragement, maybe from family, I've had that so much with what I'm doing for years with the good human factory, but I've always just known it's going to be successful. I've had such faith. It hasn't even crossed my mind to not keep going with it. Mm. Like I remember a year and a half ago, my accountant was talking to me about like my business and he's really supportive of it. He actually does all the accounts to, for good human factory for free. Absolute legend. Good on him. And he will look in at us talking i was asking him i was like oh can i do you have a good trademark lawyer i want to trademark my logo my the word and i trademark be kind to your mind or merchandise and he was like oh you sure like you committed to it it's going to cost like five grand to do that and i was like it wasn't even a question yeah and it's interesting because my mum's always been the go get a job like go get it like you know what i mean like don't be in debt don't do this like you got to be like working hard for your money like what you yeah. just touched on and only just now am I starting to see somewhat financial reward for the two years of doing free workshops for students, building my reputation and like just always growing. And like, it's taken me until now where it's like next, like I've done two workshops this week and I'll do another nine next week and I'll make close to $10,000 over a two week period, which I'd go and dig holes for 10 weeks to do that. Whereas yeah. I can make that same amount of money in 10 hours now. So it's like it's taken the time to get there and it's taken a lot of dedication and sacrifice. And like I said before, a lot of blind luck that JobKeeper gave me that backboard to not completely struggle when I was starting mm. it. But I feel like I've utilized that opportunity as beneficially as I possibly can to get to where I am now. And yeah, it's just taken so much faith that, you know what, even if it doesn't get to where it does, if I help one more person tomorrow, then that's another box I've ticked. Yeah, I love that. My... I don't even know if it's from my family. Like my family's so encouraging. I think it's just for, especially for my grandparents. In what world did like you just set up microphones in your house, report, record a podcast and some way make a living? Like mm. it's just, they know no different than yeah. go and work for the man. And, you know, 1% are the men or women that run the business yeah. and the rest of people who just join the force. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I was actually sharing with Fernie a, a funny story on the way up here today. And I think it just speaks to the lack of understanding. So I, I bumped into my nan on Thursday and she said to me, how's your week looking? And I said, yeah, good. I said, I was in, um, I, I worked in the studio on Monday. I was in Sydney to record an interview with a hip hop artist on Wednesday. I said, I'm recording in town tonight. We're doing street interviews. It's on Thursday. I said, then I head up to Sydney on Friday for events and then Saturday for a podcast. And then my auntie comes down today and she goes, <laughs> Oh, Nan said you were doing a hip hop um, performance up in town last night. And I'm like, completely wrong. Just like skewed everything. But they just don't understand, right? Like mm. it's so outside of their realm of expectation and or their, their realm of understanding, I should say. And, you know, I feel like we get to we get to teach them and we get to be the teachers in this scenario in this case. So, man, it's a privilege to be doing. Man, I feel like we could sit here and talk forever, <laughs> which is the danger, right? A lot of things, which is but... the danger. But I think maybe there's a little bit of power to that. Like there's enough here that I think everyone back home, whether they're watching or listening, would be thinking, I need to go and absorb more of what this guy is doing. And you can 100% guarantee that links to Good Human Factory, Good Human Podcast, your socials are all going to be in the description of the show today. Like you said, if you want to go join that 1% club, 
make sure that you head across and check the socials and send that message. What I do want to do is I want to make sure we, we cover those, that, that new segment of the podcast where we dive into five rapid fire questions. Um, for the people listening to this or watching this right now, this may be the moment that's almost like a trailer to the episode. You might find this as a separate snippet on the podcast platforms, or it might just be the perfect recap at the end of a great episode. So I'm going to dive into those five questions with you. They're relatively rapid fire. They are quite new. So I'm going to get my notes out, you know, um, the first one is the, and, and I'm going to specify here the one book or one podcast that you'd recommend someone listening to. Oh, that is so hard one. Um, okay. Lost Connections, a book by Johan Hari. Oh. We're talking about that on the way up. Oh, really? Bro, he's it a changes mind. your mind. I've not read or listened. I've listened to all of his interviews around yeah. it. Really interesting, hey? Super interesting. Completely. For someone who is quite deep into mental health already, read it about a year ago, had it on my bookshelf for about two years before I read it, read it, and I'm very disappointed that I hadn't read it earlier, but very grateful that I read it when I did because it has changed my understanding on mental health quite a lot around pharmaceuticals, around what it means to be mentally healthy and how to achieve it. Um, but yeah, Johan Hari lost connections if I was to do one. I love it. Number two, the one skill that you'd recommend mastering that significantly improved your life? Meditation. Nice and Done. simple. Straight, Straight down the middle. Join that 1% club, people. Oh, that's, just, that's the pitch. Just find a meditation that works for you. There's a million ways to do it. I, um, yeah, I literally just, you can search YouTube 10 minute guided meditations. Once you get a bit more advanced, I try and do mantra meditations. Now I'll sit and do 20 minutes with just a mantra going on in my head with just a sound playing just so it's soothing and just do 20 minutes of trying to silence that mind and just create some space. Do you do it at the same time every day or? No, I'm pretty sporadic. I, um, I try to do it in the morning. This morning, for instance, I forgot I slept in and me and my partner ended up going up to um, hiking to the lighthouse at Palm Beach. Oh, nice. And when we're sitting up there watching the ocean, I took her up there for the first time and she loves meditating too. And she was like, oh, let's do our meditation for today. So we just sat there up on the headland and closed our eyes and meditated for 10 minutes. So I just kind of do it whenever I can. But yeah, morning's kind of when I try to get it done. I love that. The one challenge that you've faced that's required the most personal growth to overcome challenged when I lost my major sponsor when I was about 22 23 I was sponsored by Hurley for like seven years and then I kind of got put an ultimatum put on me if you don't make it into this top 10 on the tour you're on you'll be dropped you won't be getting paid anymore I didn't achieve that goal and losing that was quite difficult to make the decision to have to sort of drop this ego of oh I was getting paid fifty thousand dollars to surf now I'm getting nothing how do I make up that 50 grand if I want to continue to compete? So the challenge there was to drop the ego and go and get a job and realize <laughs> that nobody really cares. Like in my mind, I was like, oh, people are going to judge me that I'm like working instead of getting paid to surf. And then once after working for a few years and like looking at other people who work to surf from the outside, I'm like, <laughs> everyone's so obsessed with their own life mm -hmm. that that. So I think just, that was one of the biggest challenges and that was one of the biggest things I learned that nobody really cares what's going on in your life. Probably so, even so, powers you more, right? Because yeah, it makes you relatable. Exactly. And then I was kind of, the, my mindset changed so much when that happened because I went to like working at a surf school to work into a landscaping to a year and a half on a building site. And what I learned was 
a lot about gratitude, to be honest. It mm. changed my whole mindset when I was traveling. I went from this kind of privilege, getting paid well to surf, just enjoying it for what it was, to I have to work 50 hours a week when I'm at home to get to the next event. And then for one, I was more appreciative when I was at the event. But instead of being, oh, like this sucks that I have to do this. I was like, are you kidding me? How cool is this? I worked for three weeks to go overseas for three weeks. Whereas bloke standing next to me digging holes is working for the three weeks that I'm overseas surfing. So it's like it created this great perspective that like, wow, I was living the absolute high life for a long time. Whereas now I'm still living the high life. It just mattered how I had, what lens I had, what perspective I had. So that was a big change for me to be like, oh, it's still pretty good. Definitely perspective is powerful, right? Mm. The one daily ritual or the daily ritual that I guess it could serve as a morning routine or maybe like an evening routine to set you up for the next day's success that you think powers your day. I mean, I'll go back to it. Meditation in the morning, gratitude at night. My 1% club is something that has been a habit that's been quite difficult to, well, not difficult to be honest, it's been quite easy to maintain because of the accountability groups. So yeah, for me, gratitude at night, reflecting on your day and then, yeah, trying to meditate and practice mindfulness every day as well. Beautiful. And I think that's just the consistent theme of this podcast, right? Mm. It's it's sometimes the simple things that make simple the biggest impact. consistently. Yeah, I love that. The last one and probably the most important question for me, I think this speaks to what the podcast is about and my my purpose and my, my whole reason behind having this show is to uplift and inspire hope in others through story. And, and I believe this question really targets at that. So the one message that if you could almost force the world to act on it, what would that one message be? I'm going to come at this from more of like a motivational aspect. I could answer this in many ways, but the one quote that I really try and live by that's really powered me to get to where I am and to overcome most challenges is the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. Mm. And let me break that down a little bit. The idea that so often the thing that's holding people back is a lack of confidence and they're waiting for this feeling of confidence before they partake in a new challenge, a new job, leaving a job. Nobody feels confident getting up in public speaking, starting a podcast. What I've discovered through my pursuit of what I'm doing with podcasting, starting a business, like I've got no idea. I've got no education behind anything I do, but I've gone into everything with this mindset of the act of confidence comes before the feeling So by doing this, just confidently going into things from somewhat pretending to know what I do, obviously trying to prepare as much as possible, but you can prepare all you want to get up and stand up in front of 500 students and speak for 45 minutes on mental health. It's pretty hard. Yeah, definitely. But what I've found is the feeling of confidence comes while you're doing the task. It's like podcasting, like a good flow of conversation. If you're a bit nervous about the guest you're sitting down, sometimes you realize that after five minutes, you're like, oh, this is easy. It's like riding a bike. Yeah. But that act of confidence is always going to come before the feeling. If you're waiting for the feeling, it's generally not going to come. So yeah, just give things a go. Probably requires a bit of vulnerability too, right? Exactly. Absolutely. It's like courage comes from vulnerability. Like Brené Brown's a massive, massive inspiration and person we I had that to. conversation Convers- on the way out too All right, yeah. how long was your drive in the car bro, you seem to have so many two, good conversations two hours bro we almost <laughs> had our own podcast <laughs> yeah. oh yeah yeah there's yeah. there's just so much great stuff out there and yeah if you if you're willing to act confident and try new things like you'll open up your whole world to new opportunities definitely brother it's been such a privilege to have you on like i said we could have spoken for 
for hours on end. Like there's so much that you're doing with the alcohol brand and, and everything else as well. But we'll make sure that all the links are in the description so people can get a really good idea of, of who you are as a human mm. outside of this podcast and, and continue to follow all the good work that you're doing. So I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. And mate, I love your story. Cheers, brother. Been awesome yeah, catching up. And yeah, I'll, I'll have you on my podcast over the coming weeks, coming months. So yeah. we'll get to continue to chat. We might have to use your setup. It's a bit more pro than mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. It's Definitely, been a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much. Hey guys, make sure you subscribe, follow, do all those good things that, that makes the show thrive and survive. Five stars. You know the drill. That's it. I do all this too. I do it all. It's the most important thing. Make sure you hit that five star, subscribe, follow. That's what grows a podcast. Bloody oath it is. So, and really grateful for everyone who tuned in today. Um, as always, we'll continue having these powerful conversations and look forward to hearing from you all. Take care. You.